On this edition of the Golf Digest podcast, we recap the 2018 Masters, where Patrick Reed emerged as the champion, winning by one stroke over Ricky Fowler on a spirited, low-scoring Sunday. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Golf Digest podcast. It's Sunday night. We're in the Augusta National Media Center uh, recapping uh, Patrick Reed's victory today at Augusta National. It's one shot win over Ricky Fowler uh, to take the green jacket and join the legends here as master champions. Uh, joining me is uh, Joel Beal and E. Michael Johnson, legends in their own right here. Uh, guys, uh, uh, just a, some initial thoughts. Patrick Reed, our champion, uh, were you surprised, Mike, that uh, he was able to uh, pull this off? And he had a three-shot lead coming into the uh, final round, was able to pull it out with a 71. What's your impression of the, the day and his performance? Well, actually, I wasn't surprised. Uh, I thought heading in last night, that uh, he was going to be able to hold on and win. Everyone was pointing to Rory McIlroy and thinking it was Rory's time. But what we've learned here over the years is whenever you think something's going to happen, it probably doesn't. And in this case, I don't think a lot of people really thought Patrick Reed had what it took to hold on, sleep on the lead, and get it done. And he, he played well. You know, He didn't play great, but he played well enough to win. And that's all it really takes. And I think what impressed me the most is he was having flamethrowers thrown at him from all over the golf course. And still, whenever he needed to come through with something, he did. And uh, I'll go right to number 11, where he could have made a mess of it. Uh, He hit a really nice pitch shot there and, and didn't. And even though he made bogey, it was a good bogey. And there are good bogeys here. And I think that kept him kind of settled down even though he missed the putt. And from there on in, he played pretty flawless golf. Yeah, no, Reed definitely, I mean, he took advantage of the fact that he had a three-shot cushion coming in, but uh, but but he did it smartly. You know, he, he played the golf course in a certain way, knowing, like you said, that there was the potential for guys to come from behind, but making sure it had to be those guys chasing him rather than him falling back to them. Joel, uh, what, what were your thoughts about the way Patrick Reed played today and, and the ability to come out on top? Well, given the fact that he bogeyed the first hole, I thought everyone kind of like, okay, here we go, Rory, Rory Reed, and really he acquitted himself well after that, especially given the fact that as other guys were going low, Reed, he was really struggling today to, to make a lot of birdies, so the fact that he didn't necessarily have his A game was still able to manufacture around that guy, obviously got him the green jacket, something that really sticks out to me. You know, uh, I, I do think, as we've alluded to already, a lot of people came in today thinking uh, this was Roy McIlroy's actually tournament to win or lose, despite the fact that he was three shots back. Uh, got off on, on the first hole, had a wayward drive, was able to salvage a par, and then he hits that second shot so close on a number two, just misses the putt. But you still have this sense, okay, maybe this is going to be Roy's day, but it was anything but Roy's day. Uh, Mike, were you surprised with the way Rory came out and the way he actually handled today's situation? Because everyone assumed, given his experience, given the four major championships, that he was going to be the guy really poised to win and, and, and do something historic, and obviously that didn't come to pass. You know, I really am surprised. Uh, I thought he was going to play well today. Whether it was going to be good enough to beat Reed, nobody really knew. But I don't think anybody was expecting McElroy to go out and shoot over par. But it was set up right off the bat. I mean, the, the first tee shot going wide right, he was lucky it was still in the ballpark, quite frankly. And then he had a legitimate shot to save his par there with a 
good second shot. He had an opening, couldn't do that, as you said, didn't take advantage of number two. It was just kind of this start and stop, start and stop all day, and then just kind of got away from him, you know, on the back nine. Made a bogey on 11, couldn't really get anything going after that, and uh, by that point, there were players that had already raced past him. So, uh, you know, very disappointing, and it'll be interesting to see how much scar tissue comes from this. Yeah, it, it will be, only from the standpoint of, you know, here was a guy who seemed to have uh, been playing well so far this year, was obviously geared up for this event, trying to go for the career Grand Slam. It's the fourth time he's tried to do that here. And getting into that final group again, even if he was three shots back, I mean, there was this sense, obviously, that, that he was much more prepared for it this time around, and yet it didn't come to pass. Was there something in particular in your mind, Joel, that really stood out in terms of why it just didn't happen? Uh, you know, it looked like his pace of play was just weird. He looked like he was out of sorts rhythm-wise. But w what was your take on that? I think you hit it on the head, the out of rhythm, which was disconcerting given the first three days. I think what really surprised everybody where it stood out is that he was so calculated. And in the past, I think what's kind of got him in trouble here is he's been over-aggressive, didn't really know when to pick his spots. The first three days, he actually kept bogeys to a minimum here. If you look at his card, he wasn't actually racking up a lot of birdies. It was just staying away from the big number. And as Mike just mentioned, just right off the bat, he seemed hurried. He seemed like he was the one that had the pressure on him, which was funny given the one after – Saturday's round, he could tell he was, I don't know if he was either trying to deflect it or play mind <laughs> games with Reed, but it backfired. And everyone thought this would be a two man race. And instead, we got something far better. But the fact that Roy wasn't even in that conversation making the turn in the back nine is really surprising. And but I think the comments from last night to tonight were really interesting. Last night, very confident Rory, you know, ready to take this on, seemed to put everything in the rear view mirror. And then tonight, it's kind of like, well, I've been in the last group five times. This, you know, I've been a bunch of top tens. No, that's not what this is about for a guy of that caliber. It's, you know, as Pat Riley used to say, there's winning and there's misery. And uh, <laughs> in this case, I think he's going to go home tonight. And as much of the brave faces he put on, there's a lot of misery there. Okay, so so we come away though from this tournament with a couple other players here. Is it misery or or, or was it? You know, winning in some sense, uh, shape, or form for a couple other guys, specifically Ricky Fowler and Jordan Spieth. Joel, you alluded to the fact that we wound up having a chase. It just wasn't the guy that we initially thought was going to be the chasing uh, chaser, if you will. Let's let's talk about Ricky Fowler. You wrote about him tonight for GolfDigest.com. What impressed you about what he did? He came up and and and, and you know had one of the best final rounds he's ever had in a major championship, came up just short, but can he take something away from this week, uh, something good to, to work on for the future? That's the impression he gave to the press after his round, saying, you know, for the first time I felt like I kind of know now what it takes to get it done in the major championship. Saying something, given he's had eight top fives in majors before, so he, the fact that he conceded that, you know, before quite didn't know how to play this rodeo. So clearly the confidence there is for Fowler. Uh, especially given the way he finished. He kind of got off to a slow start. He was even par through seven holes, excuse me, one over through seven holes. And, you know, I think starting the day five back, he needed that birdie eagle start to kind of get things going. So the fact that it bounced back, like he even admitted that he really didn't get going until he saw what other guys were doing on the board. Uh, but, yeah, the way he finished, especially on 18, knowing the pressure, uh, as we kind of talked about, it's one thing to make the putt to win the Masters. It's another to know that your miss means it's totally over. The fact that he made the putt, giving all that was really set up at the moment, really, I think it's something that he can take forward. And it's something he mentioned that Shinnecock's one of his favorite courses in the country. 
he seems really repped and ready to go. Well, it's interesting because Fowler did obviously make that birdie on the last hole, requiring Reed to come through on the last few holes. You know, there were, there were no fireworks from Reed here at the end, but at the same time, uh, you know, some steady play. Before we get back to, to Reed and what the significance of the win means for him, the, the guy obviously that, that did put up fireworks on the leaderboard for a long time was Jordan Spieth. Uh, looked like he, he might actually be coming in with a, a 63, a closing round 63 to perhaps put himself in a playoff or perhaps even win. He bogeyed that last hole, but at the same time, uh, you know, he really was the one that was causing some excitement here today. Um, Mike, in your mind, were you surprised that Jordan Spieth was able to turn it on? And what specifically uh, impressed you the most about him today? Well, I wasn't surprised that he was able to turn it on. I was surprised by the extent. Jordan Spieth is not a player that you expect to shoot 63. He's the guy you expect maybe to shoot 66, 67, you know, probably make his way up. But as he was going along, and as we all know, once he gets that putter rolling and once he gets that look, he can get in, you know, the proverbial zone. And, and he was there today. Said it afterward, he didn't look at a leaderboard all day. You know, he heard roars. He knew people were playing well, that he had to keep it going. But I think the fact that he was in his own game and just trying to play like he plays, I mean, man, this, this guy's really something special. I think, like Fowler, I agree, a big win for Fowler today. I think it was a big win for Jordan Spieth. Hell, just getting it over the water on 12 was a big <laughs> win for Jordan Spieth. And, uh, you know, and, and I would add John Rahm in that too. I mean, John Rahm didn't look like he was really playing that well and he finds himself fourth at the end of the day. And uh, I think he can build on a lot of this by saying, you know what, I was right in there, kind of sort of had a chance, but I didn't even play that well today. Especially big given Rom really struggled with the majors last year. Granted, still a young guy, which is to be expected, but to kind of finally get your first taste of this action, it sets the stage for what's to come the rest of this year. But yeah, going back to speed, the fact that he – was really on that precipice to fight, despite not even having an eagle, just shows you how consistent he was throughout the day. Especially a lot of people, I know he came in as the favorite thanks to a, a strong start at Houston, but not many people were talking about Jordan Spieth before Thursday. Everyone was wondering what was up with his putting. Uh, really had fallen behind his peers, such as you know Justin Thomas and DJ, even Rory, they were kind of stealing the scene. So if only to inject some life and, and instill some confidence to the rest of the year, I think this was a big day for Jordan. Well, uh, starting today, nobody was talking about him winning starting today. Nine shots back, obviously. I agree with you. It's funny. Something about that 12th hole today and when he when he hit it over and he kind of you know, jokingly uh, gave himself a pat on the back, a cheer there, and then made that putt. And, and when he made the putt, that's when I finally said, oh, my gosh, this guy could really actually win today. The, the, this, he could come through and, and perform. And so, you know, I, you got to give him a lot of credit for hanging in there and, and, and creating a situation where a lot of pressure got put on uh, Patrick uh, Reed. Uh, and, and, you know, Fowler did the same thing. But, but I really think Spieth was probably the guy that Reed was looking at a little bit more than, than Fowler down the road. Uh, to turn back to, to, to Reed for a second here, it's a guy who uh, all week, you know, had been performing better than he'd ever done in a major championship and better than he'd ever done here at Augusta National with some pretty low rounds the first three days. You know, was there something in particular about the way Reed played this week, Mike, that uh, was different than what you've seen before and, and maybe explains, obviously, the, you know, the, the, the reason he, he comes away here with a green jacket? I think he, for once, really grounded out. I mean... You know, if you look at his record in majors, it's abysmal to begin with. And he did not have his A game this week. I mean, he, he only hit two-thirds of his greens. 
and regulation. So he was having to rely on parts of his game that are not normally an overly strong suit. He's proficient at, you know, around the greens and putting, but he's not brilliant by any stretch of the imagination in those areas. And those bailed him out. Yeah, he missed a couple, but he didn't really miss the ones that he had to have. And what, when you add that in, that's how you get to be a major championship winner. Uh, I think people forget with Reed, relatively young guy, and now has six PGA Tour wins and a major. That's a pretty good resume. Well, it's interesting that you said that he grounded out because obviously the reputation that Reed has, um, uh, aside from being able to win regular PGA Tour events, if you will, is, is being this grinding uh, uh, player in match play situations. Obviously, he's done very, very well at the Ryder Cup, at the President's Cup. He took down Rory. Uh, McElroy famously in, in 2016 in their singles match. And so grinding things out seems to be something that you would expect for him to do, but but it wasn't something that was coming through in the major championships. Um, you know, Joel, in your mind, is there uh, – what can we take away from Reed's win here? Do you think this is going to spur him on to bigger and better things? Is this the kind of thing that he needed to get kind of over a hump, if you will, psychologically with a major championship in order to be able to perform better on those stages? Uh, you know, w what do you think the impact of the win will be for him? You know, by itself, I don't think it changes things, but going back to how he played at Quail Hollow last year, for the longest time, it was Patrick Reed's a guy who didn't have a top 10 at the major. How can we take these top five aspirations seriously? So kind of coupled with now runner-up, or runner-up at the PGA, now win at the Masters, it does show you, hey, maybe this is a guy who can be in that upper echelon level and not just this one-week wonder when the team uh, USA events come around. Just Captain America. He's long gone, <laughs> or just Captain America, huh? I think the thing that is most shocking, though, I think if you would ask people before this week started, will Patrick Reed ever win a major? I think there would be a concession of yes, but it would have been an open championship or a PGA. This game, or this course, didn't really seem conducive to his. I mean, going in, I think he didn't have a top 20 at this course in four previous appearances. Obviously, I think his lack of distance is something to do with that. But the fact that he got it done at this course, I think you do start to wonder, hey, is this a guy who could win maybe two or three majors at different venues, which I don't think a lot of people thought he had that in him. You know, what was interesting for me, too, about his victory today was, uh, you know, something that's been alluded to in the media for the last few days. You know, Patrick Reed has a reputation uh, amongst fans of, of being this kind of brash, cocky uh, player. Uh, one who, uh, when you're rooting for the USA against Europe, of course, you want to root for that kind of guy, but sometimes it isn't the case here in, in regular, uh, on the PJ Tour, in regular situations. He even alluded to the fact that uh, on the first tee, he knew that Rory McIlroy was getting a, a larger uh, cheer when he was announced than Patrick was. And it almost drove him, in my mind. You, you heard him talk after uh, today's round, and, and you, you kind of get the sense that he gets motivated a little bit by the fact that he's probably not the one that people are rooting for. Do you think that that might change, though, down the road? Do you think the fact that he's now won a major championship, Mike, um, whether uh, this perception of him might be altered, if you will, or, or is he still going to be kind of this, you know, uh, cocky guy who's never going to get past that I'm a top five player quote that he had a few years back? I don't think he's going to change. I think what will be interesting will be, will the fans' perception of him change? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it's a little overblown, quite frankly. Uh, yeah, he does some things that kind of feed into it. But I don't think at his base he's this horrible human being that people make him out to be. But um, I think there are two ways of going. You know, David Duvall won a major and kind of lost everything because he thought it was going to be life-altering, and it wasn't. 
conversely, we look at like Sergio Garcia, and it seems to really have liberated him. And uh, I'm sure part of that is it was unexpected and came late in his career. But I could see winning a major, really liberating Reed and getting him, maybe not personality-wise, but performance-wise, to kick it up a notch where he might ascend to that. You know, it's a tough crowd now to get in that <laughs> top five. But I think he's going to be on the precipice, if not within it. There's one thing I wanted to touch on Mike mentioned, the fan perception. Yes, it was very clear that the fans were pulling for Rory to start the day then as it went on Spieth and Fowler. But those were also arguably the three most popular guys in the game. If he was going against any other player, just a rank-and-file player, I don't think you would have seen, not the animosity, but just the lack of fervor behind Reed this week. I think that's something we need to take into account when discussing the, the fan reaction. I 100% agree with you. Plus, if you think about the storyline that Rory was trying to go for, mm-hmm. a historic storyline, uh, it, it wouldn't have been, it would have been almost been surprising if it went the other way, that people were rooting against Rory for some reason. I think he's a very likable guy out there on tour, and, and, and I think a lot of people would like to see him get that career grand slam it didn't happen this week obviously but it's not surprising that they were rooting for that as well and even Reed acknowledged that to a certain extent here but uh, um, you know we came into the Masters talking about all these great storylines we came out of the Masters having a first time major champion the fourth time that we've had that here in the last four years at Augusta National Uh, lots of low scores over the weekend Uh, you know when you come away from the 2018 Masters What's going to be the thing that really sticks out in your mind? Mike, I'll ask you that first. I think that the tournament delivered, uh, despite everyone thinking it was going to be one of the top three or four players in the world at the top of the leaderboard at the end of the day, they were all in it at some point in time and in it late for the most part. So I thought we were set up for a huge disappointment possibly this year. And I think for once, the hype pretty much lived up uh, to the reality, and uh, you know, kudos to Reed for how he played, but also, you know, Fowler and Spieth and Rom, and they they gave us everything we wanted, and even a little bit of Paul Casey thrown in today. <laughs> Joel, what do you think? Uh, you you come away satisfied with uh, the year's first major? Excited for the the rest of the year coming up? Yeah, you kind of wonder. I feel bad for the folks running the U.S. Open. It's going to be hard <laughs> to top this. It uh, not only just with the name power, but again having. Two of the biggest names in golf there making a run, uh, running your title. It's going to be hard to beat. And um, yeah, it's, excuse me, it it just is my first major covering. It's something I'll always remember. Yeah. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed our coverage at GolfDigest.com this week uh, from the Masters. We enjoyed producing all the content here. Uh, Looking forward to the year ahead. Shinnecock at the U.S. Open, Carnoustie at the Open Championship, and Bell Reeve at the PGA. Uh, Thanks for listening to the Golf Digest podcast. If you haven't done it already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a good rating and review if you can so we can get this out to other people. And uh, uh, let's uh, look forward to uh, two months from now at Shinnecock, right? You know it. Sounds good. All right. Thank you.